This is Cliff Central. Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. Well, it's a very good morning to you. And um, my name is Dr. Cindy Fansale. You can catch me on Twitter at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I. And I have a very special guest in studio with me this morning. Um, his name is Ndimbwe Mbamba. And you can follow him on Twitter at Ndimbwe underscore Mbamba. N-T-I-M-B-W-E underscore M-P-A-M-B-A. And um, as you all know, tomorrow is um, tomorrow we are commemorating World AIDS Day. So Ndimbwe is a special guest in that he's been living with HIV for 32 years. So he was born with HIV and he's been living with it for 32 years. And yeah, he's got a great story to tell. And um, yeah, good morning, Ndimbwe. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Cindy. And to the listeners, I'm still alive. I'm still going strong. <laughs> okay, let's just go back to the very beginning. Okay. I think your your story and the way that you found out that you were HIV positive is quite a riveting one, especially because it happened quite late in your in your yeah, it happened in your adulthood. That's the thing, because it was a secret that was kept for me all my life. Mm-hmm. By my parents, aunties, uncles, you know, that generation. Mm. It was so kept from me that whatever I wanted, I got. I never had time to ask questions. So are you an only child? Um, the last out of five kids. Okay, so you're the last born of five. Yes, but so, I'm the only one who is HIV positive. Okay, so so you're saying that the other kids were treated differently from, from... Very different because I was the superhero who was always spoiled, yet I was the black sheep. Okay, so everyone around you yes. was aware that you were HIV. No, not not my, not my siblings. No, not your siblings. My aunties, uncles, whoever was... It was a secret that mm. they knew. That this person was a sickler. But they always found that, uh, you know, gossip behind my back, you know, treating me with, uh, with caution. But I thought it was actually pampering me, but it was actually keeping me alive. Wow. And in terms, okay, like, so when you say pampering you or treating you differently, like, just give me an example. Of I, I, like, when I, when I want a toy, I would get it the same day. If I want new shoes, I would get them. Like, they gave me a, a, a platform where I would never ask questions, say, why do I, and why am I the only one who's getting sick? Why do I go to the hospital and come back every time? You know, they always found a way of giving me that sweetening of life to say whatever you want, you get. Mm. So those questions were actually swept away from the spoiling. Mm. And your siblings didn't say anything? They didn't hint at they, they, they got used to it because no matter how many times they would say, it's, why, not, why, fair. it's not fair, they say, deal with it. I see, yeah. I see. And where were you born? I was born in Zambia, in a small town of Kitwe, on okay. the Okoba Belt province. Okay. Yeah. And you grew up there? I grew up there until, like, because the, at the age of 10, my father got a, a contract to work with uh, a South African company, but it was under the Zambian uh, commercial, like, uh, copper mines. Mm. So from there, he actually had to move with his family from there, and uh, that's where my new lifestyle changed. I mean, I got to meet... Different kinds of people play on elevators, spend the whole day on escalators, you know, abuse room service. I mean, to something that you like just phone. It was a TV thing. But when you get to be part of the TV of room service comes to you. <laughs> I mean, you'd actually sleep with shoes in the bed because in the morning, you know, that there will still be brand new ones. You know, mm-hmm. I got to abuse. So this is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. But I do know that it was actually built me up for what was to come. Mm. Yeah. And. So just leading on to like your early child, well, yeah, early childhood, primary school and so on. Were you a sickly child? Yes, I was. Because uh, if I was absent for five days, it was a very huge achievement. Each and every school report, if it's got absent days five, it was a massive achievement. Because you were absent for much longer. Much longer. 
But at the end of the day, I would still manage to make it to the top three. Wow. So all in all, no matter how bad uh, or how many days I missed, I would always find a way of catching up. Mm. Yeah. And and in terms of missing school, were you, were you you were not on treatment at the time? No, I wasn't. So what kind of ailments were you going into hospital? I was with? given uh, vitamins because my mom was a nutritionist. Yes. And she always found a way of giving me vitamins to say, no, I'll take them with you. So when she takes them with me, I found that, uh, you know, that, that comfort to say, I'm not the only one that's taking them or they're not poison. But when you were when you were being admitted and you were getting sick re- frequently, yeah. what kind of ailments was it? You know, if you can recall, was there, it those, chest infections? Those, those a lot because I cleaned out eighty eight percent of all known diseases: pneumonia, I lost count, TB three times. I mean, there were diseases that could not even be explained. I mean, I had so many needles stuck into me that I even became, you know, I would actually know that oh, which side do you want to be like to inject oh, me at such a young yeah, age because the hospital became my holiday home. When mm. I went there, I would eat what I want, you know, like VIP food. I'd get to be pampered by the nurses that would come and chit-chat with you. Mm. But all in all, it was a cover-up. Because they, no they, one was willing to tell uh, you yes, that because the situation. When, when, when someone asked the question, say, how come you never told me? Because I'm one person who always wants to find out the root of where it all started. Say, why me? Mm. You're very curious and you want yeah, to know I, stuff. I'm, I'm a very curious person. Yeah, I won't stop are. until I get to the source say, why me? Mm. So they knew that and they avoided that from happening. And in terms of the treatments, um, did they have the treatment protocol at that time? No, they didn't. Because we're talking how many years ago? This That's is quite the, a... Yes, 33, I mean, I mean, because if I recall, treatment only started in the late 2000s. Yeah, yeah. In South Africa, certainly you started a proper rollout in 2004. That's the thing. You know, and in, and in Zambia, when was their proper rollout started? I have no idea. Yeah. That was just herbal medicine... If you die, they'll say it's either witchcraft or this person was sleeping around. Because, you know, there's that thing of people say naive. They don't know what is the HIV. They think as long as you've got the HIV, you're sleeping around. They mm-hmm. don't know about needles, drugs, whatever, immune system. All they know is that once you've got HIV, you're sleeping around. And I think this is why I have you on the show. Because I wanted to highlight that here's a young man. He's 32 years old. He was born with HIV. That's he wasn't thing. sleeping around. He wasn't uh, using drugs. He wasn't sharing needles. You know, people need to understand that there's more than one way of of of, of getting HIV. I mean, HIV. there's even blood transfusion. Yeah. And people always say, but how come you don't blame? I said, how can I be blaming? I've got to make the best out of the blame. Mm. See, most people always want to point fingers at others. But the question is, what part do you have to play? What did you do not to avoid where you are? Mm. And your mom, Timbu, I mean, you know, because obviously you were tr- you got the HIV from your mother. It was yes. a mother-to-child yeah. transmission. Yes, that's true. Was she sickly? Was she happy? Yeah, she should, because she died from a TB relapse. Okay, and when was this? In 2004. Mm-hmm. Then when she died... But was she healthy before then? I mean, what, she, what, she, what's she, your she, recollection? She, 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 you know, she had uh, skin that would actually heal, come back, heal. Like, we're actually sharing the same kind of... Uh, symptoms. Symptoms. So I, I found that comfort to say, ah, I'm not the only one who's actually oh, going through suicide. Mama also has yes. the same thing. And she was my role model, my guardian, my everything. Mm. So everything that we did, it's like we're actually best friends. Mm. To say, okay, whose turn is it? It was like ch- exchanging each other. Ah, I've also got it. Like, but she always, it was always that preparation for what was to come. Mm. So in 2004, she got TB she, again? She got TB again. Because even when I got scholarships to study abroad, she refused to say I'm not going. But I never understood what kind of parent would actually reject or refuse their child to go and study abroad. But she knew if I left her circle, I would actually end up in the grave. Mm. So I was enrolled in a normal college which was nearby. 
but when I got my freedom, I actually got to find the other side of, I mean, I was kept under a cage for 19 years. Then you're given free access to money to, I mean, I started living a life of fame because of spending money. My grades went down. People got to know me just because of money. When I actually wanted to have a proper meal, I'd go to my aunties in the name of love. But they knew that, no, 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 this is not love. He actually doesn't have money or he just wants a proper meal. Mm. So my health went down in, in accordance with having freedom. Mm. So, yeah. And, and you, so, you, so after your mom passed away, yes. because I think this is where yeah. I want, it's interesting to me, like yeah. how did you then find out your status? Your mom passed away and yes. then what happened? My aunties, aunties, uncles, they, they knew I was a very expensive expenditure. So they said, we cannot keep you under our rules. We can just support you. Where was your dad? My dad had passed away in 95 from meningitis, which is okay. also affiliated with the, the HIV. Mm-hmm. So when, when those said, go and stay with your auntie, with your sisters in South Africa who were based here, I was met with a terrible cough that destroyed three quarters of my left lung. Mm-hmm. When I went to a private GP because I didn't have a PR, the doctor said, uh, what is this? I said, look, I came to you to find out what it is. They said, no, in my 15 years of practice, I've never seen such a case. But of I, such a, such a severe chest infection that your lung is just you know it was three quarters was destroyed of the left from lung from the X-ray yeah yeah and I said but isn't that my heart I said no no the heart is actually below the lung so I was referred to Mill Park and those guys were very excited to see here comes a new discovery now I you know I'm a very person who's actually straight to the point said look before you start making money out of me can we find out what is eating. My lung. <laughs> I mean, I was offered coffee, cappuccino, whatever. I said, no, I don't want anything to drink. I'm not Ca- feeling well. Uh, 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 can you, can you? And this guy was like, he was saying, okay, look, the only way we can actually do what we can do is we got a piece of your lung. So, oh, so you had to send a piece, to, uh, a piece of your lung for biopsy. Yes. Now, now I asked, uh, how do you go through my rib cage? Because I know the body very well. I said, no, no, no. We don't go through the rib cage. We actually put a pipe. I mean, he was even using the scissors hand, say, through or through. I said, no, 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 no. Thank you for your time. And that's how I left. You were scared. I, I was freaked out because I knew if I took that opportunity, it's either one, I'd be dead, or two, I'd live with a pipe in my throat. And any of those two, I did not want. I left that room. My sister said, what did they say? I said, no, you know, I just had a chit-chat about drinks and uh, cappuccino, espressos. Like, what do they want? I said, they want a piece of my lung. Did you give them? No. Are you going to give them? No. I prayed for seven days. Until my lung healed. I went back to my private GP. Who had never seen such a case. Mm. Two x-rays were done. To prove that the impossible was made possible. Three months later. I lost my right eye to herpes zoster. Shingles. Yeah. Herpes or pelmicus. It was totally blinded. Mm. This guy said. Your eye is so dead. That it is just wasting time. I was referred to Santin. I found that specialist, uh, those guys who take out eyes, mm. you know, with a very shiny briefcase. I said, so what's in the briefcase? Because I'm a very curious person. Like, <laughs> then he opens, no, it's just surgical blades. I said, no, no, I didn't come here to be whatever I experimented on. I came here to talk to you. Close the briefcase and then we can chat. Mm. He did that. And after doing injections, medication, I could see a pinhole of the sun. Not could- light. The sun, as in the same heat from the sun, a pin or needle pin. Mm. And he said, you'll never see again. But that never stopped me. Each and every day when I woke up, I would swave my fingers in front of my eye until I saw them. Wow. I went back with the same blinded eye, which was back to the same doctor. I said, 
But how come you've still got the eye? I says, I chose not to take it out. Mm. An HIV test was taken. Was actually forced to say, let's see how. So this is so this is now after the lung infection, after the eye infection, yes. you were then tested for yes. HIV. Okay. Uh, and when he said, uh, yeah, you're positive, it's like, oh, come on, man, I've cleaned out so many diseases. Like this one is in and out. Then when the details came out, say, no, you'll be on medication for the rest of your life. Like, okay. And he told me my serial count was 36. And my viral load was somewhere in the millions. Like, nah, they're just figures. Then when he compared me to an average person, my mind got so, you know, like when you actually control out, delete a laptop, it just reboots. I just, all I was seeing was just his, his mouth moving. But tell me, like, did they do proper counseling? I think, did they counsel you? No, like, they didn't. So, so he says, okay, we're going to do this HIV test. Yeah. And you said, okay. Because yeah, I mean, you didn't really understand yeah, what was I going didn't. on. I mean, I, I mean, there was, there was no, there was no one who sat me down and say, this is what we're going to do. This, this is what, this is what do. HIV is. These are yes. the implications yes. and so on. And this happens to so many people. It, it does. Because people this just get tested so and they go home and say, okay, I'm on ARVs. Next thing they're still in their closet, dying. It happens to so many people, and I think a lot of people that were tested earlier, early on, you know, when the pandemic started, yes. missed out on, on counseling, missed this out on just a thing. simple explanation. What is HIV? Yes. What are ARVs? Why must you take them? What is the CD4 count? What yeah. is a viral load? The you know? Even the thing of, of, of not understanding the family that actually accompanies the virus. People don't understand that the virus does not kill you. It kills your security system hmm. and invites the friends. Now, when the friends come in, believe me, they have a harvesting of their life. Mm. And so, there's this man speaking to you about CD4 count. Your CD4 count is 36. 36. Your viral load is in the millions. Yeah, I mean, my mind was blank. Because even if I multiplied it by 20, it would still not, not get to the average of 800. Mm. And I was so shocked. I went home with the same medication. There were 20 tablets. That, Ten, back then, yes. yeah. Back then, the tablets yeah. were a lot. 10 in the morning, 10 in the evening. Mm. Even my sister felt so sick. You know what? Sometimes I just wish I could share those stuff because they're so big and they're so many. Mm. Then when my 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 city worker went to four ninety, I got too comfortable. Says, "Oh, I'm almost halfway. Mm-hmm. What do I do?" I start playing around, not knowing that it was a price I was not gonna enjoy. So you were taking your medication in the morning and, and in, the, in evening. the evening. There were twenty tablets. Ten. Yeah, in the ten. morning, ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was in two thousand and four five. Yeah. Yeah. Now when my my city worker rises to four ninety. I got too happy. And how long did it take for it to get there? It how many was, months or was it a year about, or so? No, about, I think about six months or so. Mm-hmm. Because remember, my, my, I think my immune had actually got to see, wow, we've actually got a new member who's going to like, it's like a, it's like an energizer. <laughs> so when it got to 490, you know, so I mean, I went out for supper, not knowing that this guy was going to start skipping medication, drinking at my own time. Hiding under my carpet, you know, it was so bad. And this happens. It does. It happens. And when my health started getting worse, they said, "But are you taking medication?" Yes. But when I was taking, because you were taking it, yes, but you weren't taking it regularly. Yes. The truth is, you were taking it, and then they asked you that question. You Mm -hmm. answered, you know, honestly. That's the thing. And I was referred to five different specialists: Olive Dell, Mill Park. You know, I cleaned them out. Mm -hmm. They could not find the drug that was resistant. In the end, the one from Olive Dale told me, say, my friend, we've spent too much money on you. Says, you did or I did? Says, oh, sorry, you did. He referred me to the hospital, the mm-hmm. Helen Joseph. Those guys said, we don't deal with breadcrumbs. So, like, but what do you mean breadcrumbs? I say, my friend, you're a dead person walking. 
your father does not agree with your behavior. I said, okay, so can we go to the ICU so that you can actually carry on even though I've got nothing to claim? Then a doctor from Helen just said, no, wait a minute. Before we actually give hope, lose hope, there's an American drug that's under research. Mm-hmm. You can either take it or not take it. And I said, okay, fine, bring it. I was given a letter of consent, 32 pages. I said, I got tired of reading papers. I signed that document in less than 30 seconds without even reading a single line. I said, mm-hmm. give me the drugs. I'll do the rest. And you and you vowed then that you take the medication. You I, 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 I stuck to it so much that even my family got shocked. See, after four weeks, the viral load that was in the millions Heck. had dropped to 186. Mm-hmm. And my viral load was somewhere in the eight. I think it was eight. Shot up to 100. Those doctors said, how did you know the drug would work? Said it was my only hope of living. Wow, From that day, my name changed from being a patient to a blessing. Mm. I was actually adopted by the American government for five years. I have opened up doors for ARVs that people take nowadays. And the best part of it all that in all those five years, I had no side effects. Mm. So you didn't a, have a single, I was about n- to ask you that. Yeah, so nothing. everything that you took, you had no side effects. It was working, no side effects. Working, I was regarded as a very bad expenditure because they overspent their budget trying to find a side effect. They were writing the same report, just changing the date. And they threw me back to the South African government and said, oh, he's back. And they started arguing and said, no, no, he's your property. No, we took him on loan and overpaid our loan. So, I <laughs> no, serious. I mean, those guys don't even want to see me anymore. No, well, you were on research drugs. I mean, that's, that's the, the thing. Yeah. You were on research drugs and, yeah. and look, you found one that worked. Yeah. And we do have patients like that. I mean, I think the... When you the the deal is that they keep you on medication for at least ten years yes. after the research has ended, they yes. still have to fund your medication for a, another ten yes. or so years, yes. Yes. yeah, until the yeah. government can take over. Or you yes. can pay for it yes. for yourself. Yeah. So, out of interest, which ma- medication are you on at the moment? How um, many uh, uh, tablets are you on? I, I take the three. The three actually different kinds of medicine. Yeah, but there are three in the morning and then two in the. I think I've got them in my pocket. Mm-hmm. You don't um, remember the names? I know Aluvia. Aluvia. Okay. Then there's a Tenanova and. Uh, one with an X. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So and so far, so, so good. Oh, believe me, because uh, as we speak, my viral load is less than 20. Okay. Speaking of viral load. Okay. Yes. So, the, okay. I don't know if you were following the Charlie Sheen story. Okay. Yes. So basically, Charlie Sheen was being um, blackmailed by his friends or okay. family or uh-huh. wherever. Yeah. And they wanted to to disclose his HIV status. Yes. They felt that, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing to be HIV infected in Hollywood. Yes. Uh-huh. And they're going to make money out of him. You know, the stigma around HIV in Timbu. You know, if Charlie Sheen was, you know, spent the past three or so years paying people off, what does that say about the stigma around HIV? Why are people still like this? People don't understand that HIV, living with HIV is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They don't understand, say, it's not a killer disease. It's just a reduction to you enjoying. You know, you, instead of you always attacking, you've got to learn how to defend. You know, each and every day you wake up and say, how many slaps am I going to get today? You get slapped. You don't slap back. Mm-hmm. That's what the virus does to you. You live a life of caution. If you don't, if you never had fruits, you learn to love fruits. If you're drinking excessively, you, learn you, to you, cut you, down. you know, you cut down. It actually narrows down your bad behavior. And I suppose it narrows down the things that we take for granted yes. as well. To see, because the, the virus gives you a reason to live. If you don't obey, I'm going to sort you out. I don't negotiate. You have to negotiate with me. That's yeah. how bad it is. 
But here you are. Yeah, I mean, 32 years later, here you are. I'm still standing strong. Mm. And your family, when they see you now? Uh, right now, they're still shocked whether they, I was born from the same womb because they don't understand no matter how many flus or flu seasons come through, I'm always the one asking, so who's next? My sister's got a, a shelf full of medicine. I'm the one who tells her, oh, who's taking antibiotics? Who's taking painkillers? Because I've been through so much that even smaller issues like flu, herpes, TB, they've got no time because I'm still sorting out the one that runs the show. And in terms of just relationships in Dimbe, so in the 19 years, okay, so your teenagehood years oh, came it, it was, and early adulthood. Were you in relationships? I were had you one, dating one, anyone? There was one girl who I was, I don't know when I was dating, because she never liked me because I never had, whether good or bad days, I was always smiling. And she found that very weird. You know, even when she lost something, I'd make a joke out of it. You know, when she has a bad day, I'd always make a joke out of it. But she never understood the reason why I was always making the best out of the worst. Mm. So that trend has still got to me until today. That even when I approach a girl, she'll think I'm joking. So like, do you want to date me? No. I said, but why? She says, you never have that up-down roller coaster life. You're just a straight road. Good or bad, you still make the best of it. How can I date someone like that? I want a guy who's going to be emotional, you know, depressed, <laughs> upset. You know, because, you know, most people live according to the system. But when you find someone who doesn't follow the system, it's scary. Like, are you normal? I says, if I'm not normal, why are you talking to someone who's not normal? You see, they don't like that. Someone who always gives you the best out of every negative. Like, I lost a job, so who found your job? Like... You know, all that kind of person who always makes the best out of every situation, they do not like that. They want someone who's going to sympathize and sort of empathize with them. Just like, I cannot do this. Oh, yes. But I think your, 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 you know, your attitude, your, you know, your positive attitude, your positive outlook yeah. front on life uh-huh. comes from all the things that you've been that, that's through. A, yeah, that's the thing. Because I've chosen to say, because my mother always taught me to say, if something does not talk, it can never defeat you. And those words stuck to me so much that... If something does not have a voice, mm. it will never bring you down. A challenge only knows two words, defeat me. If you don't defeat me, I'm going to still defeat you. Mm. And, and you know, when you think about your mom, Dimbwe, like when you look back yeah. on everything and yeah. all that she did for you, mm-hmm. do you appreciate how she sheltered you, you know? It, it, actually, it actually came back to, to, it made sense. You know, when I sit down, I actually say... In all the wrongs that I might have thought she had done, mm-hmm. she was building up a great person that would actually be the game changer in this world. She was being a mom. She, she was. was being a mom. She, she chose to make decisions for me yeah. to a point where I would ask the question, say, who runs my life? Mm. And she would say, you do. But it was a building. You know, she was preparing me for what was to come. You know, we actually trained someone in such a way that even when I'm not there, you still remember my words. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so we'll be back after this. I think when we come back, I really want to talk about um, just your understanding of medication, how it's affected you when you see people around you. Like, I know you do a bit of work at Helen Joseph. You do work at adolescents. I really want to talk about that. Yeah, believe me. Those those guys are, right now, they don't like me because my viral load is going down. Theirs is rising. And yet I'm their leader. Well, that's why you're there. You're there to motivate them. I'm the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. 
I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. This is CliffCentral.com. Health Hour on CliffCentral.com. Well, I'm back with Undim Bwembamba. He's my guest for this morning, and we're speaking everything about HIV. I mean, his story is so riveting. Undim Bwe was born with HIV, and he's been living with it um, for the past 32 years. And it's just been fantastic just sitting here and listening to him and just hearing his experiences with medication, with, with everything, you know, his family and everything else. Dimbo, I know you attend your medication at Helen. You take your medication at Helen Joseph. Now, yes, that's true. And you've been there for how many years? Uh, 11. Okay, so you've been a, a um, faithful the, uh, patient oh, for 11 believe years. me, right now they've actually given me the... The podium to go and give the world a speech for the right to care family. Oh, that's awesome. Even though the CEO does not know who is running the show under the ground. <laughs> but you work with adolescents is really yeah, what's yes, important. Yes, I do. Yes, uh, yeah, I yeah really so tell do. me a bit about that because uh, I know that, I mean, even though we've made great strides in terms of the uh, prevention of mother to child transmission program, we've yes, done we very well. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that we're on, we're on target. We, we are on target. Yes. But there's still one or two kids. That do get infected I think that's what people need to understand That yes, the program is working well But nothing is 100% So our infection rate is sitting at less than 2% Which is so good So one or two kids will come through HIV infected yes, And obviously true. those kids will grow up And become adolescents yes. and so on mm-hmm. What is difficult for adolescents You know, I know that they struggle sometimes When it comes to dealing with HIV What are your, what are your When you speak to them, what do they say? What, what are their issues? What's the the, the Most of them is like they, they don't know how to take their medication in front, Because they've actually got to accept They've got HIV. Mm-hmm. They've been given medication, but how to come out? You know, there's that thing of saying, "What will people talk about me?" Remember, you live in a society where people will judge you without even knowing how you got the virus. Mm-hmm. There's that judgmental aspect of society that takes people down. To say, when I go to the bathroom, I'll go and take my ARVs. You know, if I don't, if I take them, they'll ask questions. Say, "What are you taking?" Kids need to be given counseling. There is no counseling for adolescents, mm. and that is so bad. And you need to find someone who knows what they're going through than someone who just reads a book and say, this is what you do. They do not like that. They want someone who can actually show them how it's done. Mm. Someone who's been through, who's been through you know, to who's say, walked the walk. Yes, to say, I'll take the ARVs before you. Mm. They always want someone to do to walk the road before them. So whether they say, if I die, it's fine. I mean, after all, it wasn't my choice to get the virus. Mm. You know, there's always that thing of giving up, not knowing that there's still hope after the end of the... The road. Mm. And how many adolescents do you see, like, uh, on a weekly basis at the Because the, 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 about, I think, almost plus minus 100. Okay. There are a lot. From, uh, from uh, as little as 6 to 19. Yeah. Then the, the senior adults, or who are actually just graduated, those that actually move out. Of the adolescent yes. clinic into the adult but, clinic. But they've got a special adolescent group. Yeah. But all in all, they get too comfortable to see... As long as my I'm, I'm on one day tablet, I can do what I want when I want. But they don't understand. Once you default on that one, they actually add more ARVs. Because when you, when you're given the easy way in, and you don't want to make use of the easy way, you have to learn the hard way, and you never get that opportunity to start the one day tablet again. Mm, I think it's important for yeah. people to know that we've got different regimens. So yes. you know, obviously, regimen one, the first tablet is for most people. It's the tablet you take. It's, it's, it's just three one, one, one it's tablet just a day. One. You know, at night. Yes. You know, and obviously, if the if HIV becomes resistant to that medication, you must now, now move to the twice a day, yes. and so on, and yes. so on, and so on. 
And people think that's, that's a good thing. It's a bad thing. Because once you climb the ladder, you don't come down. Mm. And I always tell kids, say, kids have been on the third line. Yeah. It is not nice. Mm. That's where you get side effects beyond your imagination. Someone saying, but I'm getting high every day. I said, you get used to it. How do you know? Because I'm the one that opened up doors to those. Mm, I've been there. Yeah, I know I've, how I've it been feels. There. They say, I'm vomiting. It doesn't matter. You get used to it. Because they don't build the mind to say, this is here to stay. It's not going to leave you. And they don't understand the value of ARVs. They say, but I'm always taking vitamins. Vitamins do not sort out the HIV. Those two go together. And you know, there's that, that thing of churches. They say, my church told me to stop taking ARVs. Mm. Do I come not, across that a lot. A lot. To say, yeah, healed, you can stop. But the thing that they forget, is it the church that made you start ARVs? No. The doctor is the one that started the process and he is the only one who can end your process. No matter how much you want to question, it is the way it is. You cannot find a guava on a mango tree or a mango on a guava tree. What is wrong is wrong. What is right is right. Mm. Don't make what is wrong seem to be right. And, you know, when you take your medication every day in Dimbwe, yes. I, I know you had a, a phase where you, you know, you defaulted on treatment yes. and then you got sick and now you're yes. back again. Um, what motivates you to keep taking the medication? Is it the fear of not getting sick or what? Is it something else that drives you? What, what keeps you going? No, I've actually got to understand the, that the virus has had, I gave the virus a chance to take me down and it did not do that. So it's my turn to take it down. Cause when you make a promise to say, I'm going to put you down, regardless of what the system says, you know, you, you make a promise. It's a vow to say, come rain, come sunshine. I'll, I'll get to the top. I might lose the battle, but in the end, I'll lose the war. You know, there's that drive that says, I will make the impossible possible. Mm. You know, you've got to give that yourself a goal to say, no matter how many people you've killed, you're not going to take me down. I'll die the natural way, not through you. Mm. And World AIDS Day, what does World AIDS Day mean to you? Like when you, each year we have this World AIDS Day, does it mean anything to you? Is it important? Do you think we shouldn't focus on only one day? No, because, you know, there's, there's, there's some that, that recently that, uh, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine said, what are we doing for all this? They said, I don't know what you're doing, but as for me, I'm expanding my wings. Because mm-hmm. I'm tired of doing the same thing over and over. Speech, t-shirt, food, speech, t-shirt. People have to learn how to start eating solid food. They cannot be given milk every single day. Mm. Because remember, life does not stop. It keeps on moving. What what happens when those who are in, who are soldiers are still there drinking milk? Who's gonna teach the next generation? People have to learn. Say, if I don't come out, n- the next generation will not have the advantage. For you to be where you are, someone stood up and said, "I'll take the bullet for you." People have to stand up and say, "It's my turn to do what someone did for me." But we always say, "As long as I'm healthy, it's fine." People have to change their way of thinking. We have to come and say. I will not just come out on World Age Day. Each and every single day should be World Age Day because the virus does not choose or does not know World Age Day. Mm. So World Age Day is a day, yes, we celebrate HIV, but at the end of the day, each and every single day, we have to acknowledge that the virus does not choose. Mm. Whether you are whatever race, whatever occupation, whatever money, it takes you. Once it's in, it will never get out. Yeah. So this thing of saying, let's celebrate World Age Day, it's... You know, it's a formality. 
mm-hmm. and it has to change somehow, some way. Like it or leave it, it has to change. You cannot just say, "Okay, let's march for what?" Stigma. How long? Taking care of it for how long? Let someone stand up and say, "I am tired of doing the same thing. I want to do something different." Have a pageant for the HIV people. Have a contest. Have a singing competition. You know. Make those guys understand that they are still part of society. Mm, and there's nothing Look, wrong with being infected. I mean, there's, there are those who've got TB. They've got those who've got other diseases. Have, you know, have a concert. See, I mean, like these, these, these motivate the, the, the same, the meetings that annual ICASAs, they put people in suits. Why can't they put people who are actually living with the virus? Say, guys, this is what you're doing. Have a portion to share ideas. Is this thing working? Yes. Why is the evidence here? Don't go then and start reading a paper, say yes or doing great. How? No, they told us. Don't be told. Let the information tell you. Well, I mean, I also think that um, it's important for, for us as health workers to hear from the patients. I mean, you've been in the system for so many years. What can we do differently as as, as health workers? What, what do you think? Is engage with the patients. Mm. You, know, you know, you divide a cake to say, tell me. What you're going through When you're given an interview Share half I'll talk The other one will talk Have a conversation Say We're doing this together I mean the five fingers Are different sizes But when they work together They create the hand One cannot say Because I'm the taller one I run the show It mm-hmm. does not matter A CEO cannot be there Unless there are people That report to him Without the people That report to him He's a one man show mm-hmm. People have to learn To work together the only way we're going to get a z- to a zero generation is when we learn to work together. Health or no health, we have to work together. We have to understand, say, when we come together, we're going to make a difference. This thing of saying, no, because um, my, my viral is and it does not matter. You're not the first and you'll not be the last. Teach others how to get to where you are. Mm. That is being a greater leader. So support groups. You know, we should be focusing a lot on support groups yes. and helping people to support the new the new patients yes. in the system. I mean, most of these NGOs. I mean, it's so it's so heart paining. I went to Benoni. Yeah. I mean, I went to see these Napa guys. These guys sit in the office, watching the phone to say it's gonna ring. I was so shocked. I said, no, I cannot work with these guys. And the person said, but why not? I said, people would not come to your building. You have to go to, to the, the people. people. You have to take yourself say, say, guys, I understand this is what you need. Can we talk? A person feels more comfortable in their land than going into someone else's place and say, okay, uh, I'm HIV. Yes. Go to them and say, I've come to hear your needs. Mm. Can we talk? They've got that, that should to say, I'm in my house. I can let it go. I'm free. I'm yes. open. I can say whatever yes. I have to say. Don't let people come to the hospital. Find time to go to the rest There are so many people out there That don't even know what the viral load is They don't even know what taking of is All they're asking for is Help me, help me But you with the information saying No, I'm fine My viral load is undetectable It does not matter Yeah, we have a long way to go Oh, there's a long way And just before we went for a break We were speaking about DDS yes, What is that DDS. about? It's the next syndrome that is the, I mean, it's, it's always been there, but I just put it into three words. Denial, disclosure, stigma. Mm. If you don't have all three, you have one of them. Denial, you don't want to accept. 
I mean, I always tell people, if you don't abstain, you're going to adapt to what the new lifestyle. If you're not being faithful, you're going to come bold to take care of this when they want you. Not when you want to. Uh-uh. When they want you. They control your life. You don't control them. See, if you don't condomize, you're going to have the courage to face denial, disclosure, and stigma. So A, B, C, HIV negative, A, B, C, HIV positive. Whichever way you go, there's still the A, B, C. And the system always says, yes, the HIV is manageable. It's a walk in the park. Question is, what kind of park is it? Nobody ever asked beyond the question, see, it is manageable. Can I take it with alcohol? No. Can I take it with coke? No. Everybody tells you, take me at 12, you chose your time. Stick to that time. Don't say, no, I'll take it at another time. People always want to control something that lives within the blood. But where is it found? It's in the blood. In the brain, it's in the blood. In the feet, it's in the blood. Wherever your blood goes, those guys are there. And, you know, the, the funny thing is that no matter how much researchers have said we're so close to finding a cure, you can't find a cure with something that changes form every time. Mm. And, you know, that, yeah, yeah. it's one of the hard things. It mutates yes. at an alarming rate. Because, number one, on Monday it can be solid. Yeah. You say, okay, from solid it will be liquid. How sure are you? What if it's going to be solid again? There is that confusion of saying, how are we going to know something that always changes form? Mm. So the best thing they could come with is have a vaccine. And they're still working on it. I mean, they're still, they're still trying very hard to find a vaccine. But the good thing is that I am not going to be one of those to try out the vaccine. <laughs> I have played my part of being a research. Yeah. I, am, I am not going back against research. Mm. I am not. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll actually open the gate for others. Say, Please go through. If it doesn't work, I'm sorry. If it does, hallelujah. And so over the past, yeah, let's say over the past 10 or so years, past yes. 11 years of treatment yes. in Timbu, what's been the hardest thing that you've gone through? Uh, what? Well, it's emotional, health-wise, just... Oh, health is actually... Because there was a time where I was losing weight. I had, uh, you know, dry, you know where you've got... You've got hair. That looks as though you were in a blow dryer. Yeah, that wispy my, hair. Yes, yeah. wispy. That happens when your CD4 count yes, drops. Yes, mm. I mean, I could actually peel up my, like, peel off my skin as well as a snake. I'd wear a jacket, you know, those winter jackets, yeah. as in ice, snow, winter jackets, when it was hot. And someone would actually think, wow, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just trying to keep my body temperature very, very average. I would shiver, I would sweat. I mean, it was so uncomfortable that, you know, each and every time you'd actually, what time is, what, what, what medication am I going to take this time? It was what medication? Living a whole life on medication does, you know, it really, it really hurts. To say, what did I do wrong that I should be one of the strangest people? But at the end of it all, I've got to rise above that. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, you've, you're very honest when you say that because I've had lots of patients ask me, um, you know, why? Why me? What yes. have I done to, to, yeah. to do this, to, Dr. Yes. Cindy? Why must I take medication for the rest of my life, yes. you know? And I, I know I never have answers. I never know what to say to that. And and that that you know that's the thing. Say, if you don't take medication, that's what I was saying. Say, ARVs, they allow you. Okay, yeah. they don't they don't they control your life. You don't negotiate with the virus. There is no fifty fifty. You're always on the losing side. Mm. 
Mm. It's always a lose. Mm. But the question is, how much are you losing each and every day? Wow. Well, we have um, Yvette Raphael on the line. Okay. Good morning, Yvette. Hi, Cindy. Good morning. And how are you? I'm glad. We're glad we could finally get hold of you. I know you're very busy with everything that's coming up tomorrow and so on. But Yvette, yes. you've been living with HIV for 15 years. Yes, yes, for 15 years. And I'm celebrating living positively and fighting this thing for the past 15 years. Yeah, tomorrow. and yeah, tomorrow the first yeah tomorrow the first of December is not only World AIDS Day; it's your 15-year celebration of living positively. Yes. Wow! Yes, my anniversary. That's what I call anniversary. <laughs> I like that. But Yvette, I mean, if you can just get, like just tell us, like over the past 15 years, just the changes that the country has seen in terms of rolling out treatment. I know you're one of the foremost activists. You've been there from the very onset. You know what has changed in the last 15 years? I think the the biggest change that I've seen is this ray of hope, this ray of life. People being seeing other people living with HIV and actually surviving and getting through the struggles. But I think what we also need to look at is how do we support people who've been on treatment for such long periods of time, and how are they dealing with the fatigue of treatment, and what the changes happens in their body. I think for the last few weeks, I, I tweeted about those struggles and how hard it is for someone to, you know, stay and adhere to their treatment for such long periods of time. Yeah, no, and I mean, Untimbo has just taken us through her, his experiences, sorry, where, you know, he went through a phase where he stopped taking treatment, he got sick again, and now he's back. You highlighted that on Twitter as well, that you also went through a phase where you stopped taking your medication. What can health workers do, Yvette? What can we do as health workers to, to assist? I, you know, I think it's so, it's so easy for us to have protocols and guidelines, but it's not often that we ask patients, what can we do to make things easier? I think what we've, what we've neglected as a country for a long time is talking about that intersection with HIV and mental health issues. Yeah. People who are, who are dealing with something as big as HIV deal with a lot of depression, deal with a lot of issues that they go through as their life changes. So I think the health care workers need to identify those cases and find out, okay, you've kicked it, you've drank all your medication, but how is that going? I think we need to get to a point where we connect that dots with HIV and mental health. Not that people who are HIV positive go crazy, no, but just that it's such a heavy burden on them. Find out if they're actually taking their treatment and they're just not discarding them or not taking them. You understand? So that's, that, I think that's a big uh, role that healthcare workers can, can play to identify cases of depression of people who are not really happy to see if they are really taking their treatment. And, and the role of counseling, Yvette, do you think the pre-test counseling would also make a difference? You know, do you think we're doing it well? We're not doing it well? What, how- I think that the pre-test counseling is going well. I think the only issue is that explain to the person what does the rest of your life mean. I mean, when I started my treatment, when they said you're going to take it for the rest of your life, I was okay. It was going to be five years, seven years. It's been 15 years. Nobody prepared me for the longevity of what it means to adhere to your treatment and how long mm. the rest of your life is. What does that mean? I think that's where our counseling needs to be strengthened. And that can only happen if we involve other people who've been through the process. And I think initially that was one of the things that we were strong about, is having people who are living with HIV share their experience, share their struggles, so that other people can learn from it.
No, that's true. I think when the program first began, we used to use a lot of HIV, people living with HIV to be the counselors and so on. And that seems to have fallen away somehow. Yes, yeah, yeah, because we somehow think people are okay. You know, you give people the treatment, they would survive, they would be okay. But I think the, including the, the people living with HIV and getting those stories out like we did yesterday in the city press. It was beautiful to read about people who've been in treatment for so long, yeah. but also learning about their struggle. And, you know, going forward, PrEP, I know you're very involved with PrEP. It's very exciting to see you doing all of those things. What's the, what, what's the future for PrEP? How is that going? I think uh, the country is ready. Uh, when I say the country, I mean our government is ready and should roll out PrEP to everyone who needs it and who can use it. The biggest issue is just making sure that people understand what pre-exposure prophylaxis means. Like we spoke the last time, so understanding your viral load, understanding mm. going to monitor your CD4 count, going to test all the time. Because people who are HIV negative need to continuously test to ensure that they have not zero-converted to become HIV positive for PrEP to work. So I think we need that, that community engagement and education to go on. That's awesome, Yvette. And so just you know, before we let you go, any, any words you have to say, anything you want to say to, 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 you know, to everyone? Uh, just that HIV is part of our lives. I think we've come to a part where we need to embrace a lot of stigma still going on in communities, people struggling. I have people who are telling me their employee, employers are testing them for HIV for an admin job. I think we need to look at those cases and be vigilant when it comes to stigma against people living with HIV or against HIV because the latest was somebody saying, I'm doing an admin job but they want to test me for HIV. How do I react because I've been on treatment or I've been HIV positive for That's, such a long oh, time? That is so terrible. Those, those are the things that we should not leave to go unnoticed because it's just the old. Yeah, no, thank you so much. You've heard? Oh, before yes. you go, Yvette, hold on. Timbi wants to say something. Yvette, how are you? I'm good, and how are you? Uh, I've got a project for 2016. <laughs> <laughs> are, are, you ready? are you ready for it? Yes. It will yes. be the first ever reality show. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> I, I, I'm tired of always people putting these guys jumping up and down. It's time to put a reality <laughs> show that educates people. Okay, whether so whether you right? no, believe me, that 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 is a must because <laughs> okay. I, I I'm I'm tired of always being sidelined. It's high time we actually put a dent in this world. All right, I That's hope you're great. geared for it. I'm definitely geared. I, for I know I am. Yeah, it <laughs> okay. will. Thank you so much, right. Yvette. Enjoy the rest Thank of your you. day. Thank you. Alrighty, bye. Thanks, Andy. Well, Yvette brought up something really important, Timbi, the fact that people are discriminating. I mean, you you apply for a job and they want to know if you're HIV infected or not. I mean, that's that's not right. That is so bad. Because the constitution protects people living with HIV from such. We don't, you know. You can't. I mean, how how does the, the, someone does, I mean, you know, you've actually reminded me of something. A friend of mine asked me to say, but why don't you go to the social department and get a grant? And I asked, but why do I need a grant? He said, because you've got the HIV. And I told, okay, fine. You say I've got the HIV, yet I come into your office and do the job that you do at a better rate. Who needs the grants between me and you? And he was like, okay, like, was that wrong? Said that was the wrong question, mm, wrong rude. day, from the wrong direction to the right person. Mm. You cannot judge a person by what they're going through. And not the person for who. Yeah, because if you're not infected, true. you're affected. Mm. All we, of us. Yeah, all of us. Because there's there's one quote that I say: whether infected or affected, we're all human beings. Mm. 
We're all different in our own unique ways. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Ndimboe. I mean, time mm. is running out. I could spend mm. the whole morning chatting to you. No, it's But we should definitely have you back, you know, next year sometime just to have an, hear an update of how things are going and especially your work that you're doing with adolescents. That work is so very important. It, it is very important because those guys are really, they're a handful. But I've managed to put them in a straight line. <laughs> See, so guys, I've been down the road. You I know do, you exactly do, you what you're going You through. do not want to go through that road. Yeah. Because I came back, but I don't know whether you come back. Like, is it that bad? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Well, thank you so much, Ndimbwe. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's um, on Twitter at Ndimbwe underscore Mbamba. N-T-I-M-B-W-E underscore M-P-A-M-B-A. Thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure. This is Cliff Central.